evening, everyone. Um, mercy. The older I get, I just... Um, are you there? I am. My old ladyness just caught up with me, and I have to go for a second. I'll be back. So, you, would you go ahead and start? I will. Go. <laughs> go be free. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to start. <laughs> My brain is sort of like in very slow motion today. Um, so we were we were um we were talking earlier about a little bit about secrets. Kira and I were talking about secrets for you know would it be a, would it be a, like a whole topic? And I started thinking about all the different ways that secrets are a trope, plot device, um. You can even it can even be a cliche, um, um, and w- whatever direction you go with secrets, um, at some point, if you've written more than one story, you're probably going to have someone somehow leverage secrets, um, whether it's implicit in your world building, like secret society, like Harry Potter, or you've got a secret werewolf culture, or um, Stargate, Stargate Atlantis. That's a big secret. That's fundamental. Fundamental to the, to the world building is that they're keeping the truth of it about aliens and um, travel to other planets a secret. Um, what are you dealing with government secrets, classified information? Whatever it is, there's secrets are pervasive. And then there's the, the classic. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and there's the classic secret, you know, plot device, which is the mystery, um, the mystery novel, cozy mystery. Um, suspense, whatever it is, um, and that's usually uh, the classic mystery um, genre is actually a little bit unique in the way that the secret is also kept from the reader. Um, in most, I think in most most devices that use secrets, the reader is aware of the secret. There are a few exceptions, but most of them, the reader is aware, and so the suspense is about. Are they going to be able to keep their secret? Will the secret be revealed? Who's going to get to learn the secret? Um, you know, depending upon what kind of how your secrets are playing out in your story. Um, and then, but in in mysteries, you know, the who done it, the secret, the readers are supposed to know the secret. So the, the, the there's that big reveal, um, and the big reveal at the end is like the most satisfying part of the mystery novel is figuring out who did it who the killer was. Uh, and actually it's because it's one of the reasons why you get in a lot of uh, like classic mystery novels, there was an unusual point of view that emerged around the secret, which was the, the third person objective. Because there's pretty only one, really only one, two, one of two ways to really keep a secret from the audience without it feeling contrived or annoying. And one is to stay in the point of view of the person who doesn't know. So your 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 investigator, your private eye, your cop, your sleuth, whoever it is, you stay in their point of view, and they are you're figuring it out. The reader is figuring it out as they're figuring it out. So that's the classic way of keeping the secret. Um, the other way that they kind of came about about keeping secrets from the reader is to write in this, and you pretty much only see this effectively used in mystery novels, is the point of view called third-person objective, 
which is the point of view where nothing is known that is not observable. And that means that there's no no character point of view. There's no character thoughts. There's no character insight. There's no character emotion. It's sort of like watching a play, and there is no internal narrator. It's all what objectively is observable. So it's a little bit like an omniscient point of view, except without the all-knowing aspect, meaning it's from the outside, but there's no actual insight. And that actually is a very flat point of view, and I think that's why a lot of mysteries are written from, successful mysteries are written from the point of view of the detective um, or the private investigator or the murder novelist, whatever it is, it's written from or observed from their point of view because it's much more interesting than that flat, objective third person. Anyway, so I just kind of, kind of wanted to deal with mysteries kind of up front because, you know, the mystery novel is all about the secret, and it is, it is about the big reveal. So it's got the two things. It's, it's the secret, keeping the secret from the audience, and the secret from the main character, and it is the big reveal at the end. So you got to have that big payoff. And then there's that's like the biggest um, the biggest secret secret genre secret trope is the mystery. And then everything else would be smaller types of secrets to deal with. I think Kira's back. Are you back? I am back. I was, but I didn't want to get in your groove. Um, I did want to say thank you to Sybil for my awesome podcast of Human Nature, my podfic. It was awesome. I laughed my ass off. Uh, your use of the word fucking is like my headcanon now. Every time I'm going to ever say John Shepard is saying fucking, it's going to sound just like you in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. I honestly have forgotten how snarky and just mean-spirited John is in that fic until I was listening to you read it. And I was like, I kind of like almost fell in love with my story again. So that was really great, and thank you. It was awesome. Um, You know, because it's really weird to have somebody listen to you. Like, it's really hard listening to someone read your words. Um, This is the second podcast she's done for me. She did Monsters, Inc. as well, and they're both on Blog Talk. Um, I'm going to do a section on my website for podcasts and put those on the website so they'll be easier for people to find because my Blog Talk playlist is kind of (laughs) big. I think we have, like, 200 and... let me let me tell you how many episodes we got. Cause it's it's out. I was really surprised by how many episodes there were. Um, there were 236 episodes of my podcast. So, um, you know, that's a lot of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> But my husband did tell me recently, I'm, we're, we're talking about something, and basically I was talking about something, and he was listening, and he got this look on his face, and he grinned, and he was like, you really like listening to yourself talk, don't you? <laughs> I stopped talking to him. I was like, fuck you, go on, go on, fuck you, fuck you. There's no verbal response you can make to that that doesn't play into what they said. Right? right? So I just somebody said, you love so all you can do is double bird them and walk away. 
<laughs> why are you avoiding oh you mean podfic not my podcast I was like why are you avoiding my podcast but you're in my chat room all the time so you can't be avoiding my podcast um, there's also a podfic for touching secrets but it's not currently online I did contact the um, narrator of that um, to see if I could put it on Blog Talk, so it will be an active link again, and I will let you guys know if it goes up. Um, I was talking to Jilly about this particular topic, and she had asked her to make a suggestion on topics, and this was um, the trope that she wanted to talk about: big secrets and secret societies. And I said that um, I both, you know, I'm I'm really kind of in love with secret um, Robert babies, but secret babies on the whole, really pissed me off. Um, <laughs> there's something about Bilbo going home to the Shire and planting a Cabbage Patch baby that makes my day. <laughs> yeah. And Thorin finding out later. <laughs> I don't know, it just really, really makes my day for Thorin to, you know, come begging to the Shire for forgiveness or, or whatever happens and to find, you know, a little baby there, or a baby who's about to be born, which is where beads on her feet came from. Um, Bella goes under the shower and, and, and plants a nursery after um, their epic argument. And um, she, uh, and it's just, it's, and that's that, that whole secret baby thing. And he's, you know, I just, I really love that. I love the idea of Sam and. Um, Frodo coming home from throwing the ring and planting babies. <laughs> because if there has ever been a better love story written than the one of Sam Gamgee, I have not read it. Because that is that is an immense act of love. Yeah, it is. Nobody will ever ever love Frodo Baggins the way Sam did. It's just, it's transcendent. I, I, it, you know, I don't write Sam and Frodo. I don't know why, because obviously. <laughs> but it's just, it doesn't make any sense they didn't end up together. <laughs> It really didn't make sense. Although they do end up together because Sam did carry the ring briefly, so he does eventually sail to um, to be with Frodo. Near the end of his life, he um, he sails away and joins Frodo and the other ring bearers in the Undying Lands. Right? I think I read that in one of the appendixes, appendices, appendices. Um, and you could say the one ring is a secret. It is. It's a weird kind of secret. Um, it keeps itself a secret, right? And not that you don't. That doesn't happen very often. Things that keep themselves secret. The sort of influence events to ensure that they're secret when they need to be secret and revealed when they need to be revealed and. Um, well, the diary in um, the Chamber of Secrets qualifies as that as well. True. 
true, but we're talking that that's the nature of Horcruxes, I guess. <laughs> right. Because secrets... The point um, is, I think that's really the only Horcrux that's really hiding, except for the one that's in Harry. Well... I mean, the others are hidden know. away by Voldemort. Yeah, but the, like the one in the um, at the Grimmauld Place, that one you could kind of argue was hiding in plain sight. I mean, that was clearly a very valuable yeah. artifact that just sat there in that case, and no one tried to do anything with it. I mean, they had Slytherin's locket sitting there, and uh, well, Berta just never just left it left it sitting in that display case sitting there in the, in their in the house and never attempted to leverage it for anything um which is stunning because if you think about anybody who was briefly in the possession of a horcrux um Wahlberger would have been more than would she have been willing to to resurrect Voldemort After all, he murdered her son. Well, did she know that, though? Her favorite son. Well, yeah, everybody knew that um, um, he was murdered. Well, they knew they um, that that he had betrayed the Dark Lord and had been killed for it. But this is also the same woman who just sounds serious because he wouldn't join the Death Eaters. So maybe she would have resurrected Voldemort. And it's curious that he didn't try to... Um, influence her through the locket. But I've always been of the theory that Voldemort didn't try a full resurrection until Harry's fourth year because the prophecy made them equal. And that was why the killing curse failed because when he tried to stand against Harry as when Harry was an infant it's because Harry wasn't his equal and the prophecy said they had to be equals that they would stand as equals against each other and so in betraying the prophecy he reduced himself to the same power of an infant and so he had to wait till Harry was almost almost an adult to get enough power to resurrect himself that's always been my my pet theory for um, um, Voldemort's resurrection. I think that's a really good theory. That he was only as powerful as Harry the whole way through. And the more power Harry gained, the more um, he grew and matured, the more powerful Voldemort's race became, which is why he was able to possess people the older Harry got. But. Which sort of um, lends a lot of credence to that common trope about the connection between them, the magical connection between them. Mm-hmm. Well, and in a way, if you look at kind of, if you kind of are working on the, the theory of like a magical balance, um, mm-hmm. the, it, Harry's carrying around part of Voldemort's soul in his head. And if you're gonna if you're gonna have a, a balance in the, between them, then Voldemort would have to be carrying around something of Harry too, which wound up being his blood. 
Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise they're not equal, right? Right. <clears throat> Creepy thought. Very. Um, the Harry Potter world itself is a big secret. Magic mm-hmm. existing in a in little pockets around the world, hidden from muggles. Um, the Stargate universe is another that has a big secret. It's a big secret society um, of scientists and military personnel going off the planet. And, and they do really sort of become like a society, a, a special um, a sect of people who um, are in on this big secret and all the little secrets that come with it. And one of the things that's super sad, more so, I think more so in with the Stargate secret than the Harry Potter secret is it, it, people have people have written the big reveal where you know declassification, um, that whole thing. So there's there's that reveal, but more I think one of the things that's more pervasive in terms of like a satisfying reveal is who gets read into the program in Stargate, because who gets read into Harry Potter? That's a little bit like. You're usually talking about, because any wizard or witch could easily find out about the Wizarding World when they turn 11. Um, so it's more muggles finding out. People usually don't write muggles, unless you're doing like, like a dystopian thing where muggles find out about magic and that that big reveal. But just this, there's just not, um, it might be like a minor plot point I've seen in stories where like Hermione's family finds out about magic and that she's magical or whatever but that that reveal isn't like a big um a big plot point um whereas like if you're working in stargate like let's say um you know your your main characters being read into the program and their reactions to the secret or i mean that, that that's a lot of mileage that you can get out of that and it's very satisfying to the reader and usually to the writer as well to to write that reveal of people finding out about aliens or whatever. One thing I found is always interesting about the Stargate reveal is that um, it's most often based on merit. Unless they stumble across it, you know, when they're bringing people into the program, it's because they they they've earned in some way or another the right to be there. Whereas magic, it seems like willy-nilly giving it. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's nothing earned there. You don't earn that. Yeah. Let me point out in the chat room that they memory erase people in Harry Potter that, you know, so if there is a reveal, you can actually in Harry Potter un- undo it. Um, undoing a reveal in Stargate is a little bit more, uh, it has potentially a uglier uglier. uglier Ramifications I, about I, I what think that it's says. more like um, murder or off-planet murder. Um, imprisonment. Murder, Gitmo, you know, <laughs> it's not nice. <laughs> Undoing that no. reveal is not mm-hmm. easy. They don't They don't have the, the neuralizers, you know, from Men in Black. Um, I was thinking the same Men, thing. Yeah. Now, Men in Black had an interesting way to deal with the secret, right? It's, it's like the secret's all over the place. It, it's literally built into their architecture and stuff. Um, all of these, you know, and and they and then they just mind wipe everybody who shouldn't know about it who stumbles across or sees something they shouldn't. 
and that's that, that's it's kind of um, it's kind of over the top, but and so it's entertaining. But when you think about, and they do make it funny a lot of ways, the way they kind of constantly and, and the fighting between J and K over what is an acceptable memory to leave somebody with after you mind wipe them. It was an, it was kind of an entertaining little thing that they you know thread that they pulled throughout the throughout the movie. But really, when you think about the implications of just having a device that allows you to mind wipe people who that's really actually kind of ugly. <laughs> did they did they do any FDA testing and approval with that device before they started mind wiping mass amounts of the population with it? I don't know. I kind of doubt it. I really appreciated. Jay's, um, re, you know, um, response to the mind wiping thing and 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 how appalled he is is in the movie, and he's trying to like make things better, you know, for um for Edgar's wife, and like you need to get yes. out more and redecorate the place and go on vacation, <laughs> you know, to make her life better, having you know having had her brains out over the Edgar suit, <laughs> which will never not be funny. That woman is fucking hilarious. She is funny. It's. Uh, like he's wearing an Edgar suit. He just can't even. He just can't even. The Edgar suit will be comedy gold forever. I have to tell you that for years I actually called Vincent Zanofrio Edgar. <laughs> and he had that show, that criminal um, intent, um, Long Order Criminal Intent. I called that show Edgar. Edgar's on. I'll be over here. <laughs> Which is also um, Bill Paxton, bless his heart, um, um, recently died, and I was um, talking to my husband about it, and um, there are like um, two really vivid audio memories for me in my brain of Bill Paxton, and one is from Aliens. When he's shouting in the background, we're all going to die. <laughs> and they do. Yeah, they do. Not very prophetic considering the circumstances. Except for three, you know, and then they die and then it's just her fucking sequels. Fucking sequels. Anyways, um, and then there is a scene in True Lies where... Schwarzenegger's character, Bill Paxton was this cheesy-ass used car salesman hitting on um, Schwarzenegger's wife, and Schwarzenegger really is a spy. Well, the car guy, the car salesman guy was pretending to be a spy, seducing women and trying to seduce Harry's wife, and Harry's played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And anyway, he <laughs> scares the shit out of this used car salesman. And one of the lines that Bill Paxman says is, I've got a little dick. It's really pathetic. And for years, for years, I called Bill Paxton little dick. Little dick, we're all going to die. It's terrible. Little dick, we're all going to die. I know. And those, those are my auditory memories of him. Yeah, he. I, 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 I believe he has some kind of cancer, Sybil. Um, I thought he died but, after an operation. Really? Surgical complications. Hmm. I don't. I'm. Uh, come on, Google. He was 61. He had complications. Due complications from surgery. surgery. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Someone recently died of cancer. Who was that? Oh, 
That being said, though, of those audio memories I have of Bill Paxton, my favorite movie that Bill Paxton ever did was Twister. Although I really enjoyed him in Apollo 13, too. Especially when he, he was accu- the- uh, accusing Kevin Bacon's character of giving him the clap. <laughs> it was very funny. I think Swagger gave me the clap. He was pissing in my release, please. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? That's your audio memory of Bill Paxton. We've all got yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. I've got a little dick. It's really pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) He's hanging off the side of a cliff at the time. Really, really funny. Yeah, he's just confessing to everything at that point. Just to to get away. Just just to get away. And what's really funny is that Harry's wife is, you know, she's played by Jamie Lee Curtis. And she's kind of all, you know, bogged down in suburbia life and... um, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis is, you know, still is, but and was was is still will probably always be a very attractive woman. Um, but they had her all dowdy down, and um, uh, it was just really kind of charming how ferociously jealous he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the movie that had was trying to seduce his wife. And that's the movie that had layers of secrets. So you had, of course, yes. the first secret is that Harry's keeping from his wife that he's a spy, and probably an assassin. But anyway, he's a spy. So he's keeping that secret. That's his, his whole life is made to look boring. Hey, they all deserved a... it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's, got, he's got the big, the big secret. And you know, that, that, you know from the beginning, when you see the setup of the movie, that one of the one of the one of the things that you're looking forward to as as a viewer of the movie is when Jamie Lee Curtis finds out that he's a spy. I mean, they set right. that up. I mean, there's 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 foreshadowing about that that's the direction it's going. I mean, it's clearly not going to be kept a secret from her. Um, that's obvious from the beginning that she's going to find out. I think it was probably it was obvious from the from the previews. But if you hadn't seen the previews, you would know very early in the movie that she's going to find out. It's like the big reveal that you're looking forward to is her finding out about it. Um, so you have, um, and then she's keeping secrets. So he's keeping the secret about what he does, and then she's keeping secrets about her dissatisfaction with life, and that she's sort of flirting with this guy. That she's actually not really flirting because she's not cheating on her husband. She thinks she's helping a spy, <laughs> and that's how Bill Paxton's, Paxton's character is reeling her in. Um, he's, that's that's his technique for seducing these, you know, older married women, is the whole spy shtick. I need your help. It's for your country. Um, blah 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 blah. So um, he's lying. I mean, that's not even a secret. He's just lying to her. Um, and you know she's going to find out about it eventually. And how is she going to react? And a lot of it, a lot of the um, interesting moments in the movie are around. Um, people finding out the truth about stuff, her finding out about the truth about him lying to her, her finding out the truth about her husband, her husband finding out the truth that she's not been having an affair, um, that she thinks about this whole spy thing. So there's like all these little reveals that are these really satisfying moments um, in the movie. I think one of the funnest reveals is when he goes to get his kid because his terrorist has kidnapped his kid and he shows up in a jet. <laughs> <laughs> Dad? That's how his daughter finds out that he's a spy. It's because 
you know, you find an F-15 outside of the building. <laughs> Climb aboard, baby. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, we're talking about True Lies. Um, I one of my one of my favorite moments in True Lies outside of the little, little dick thing is when they're giving her her code name and she's really excited because she thinks it's gonna be Natasha, but it's Doris. <laughs> <laughs> Doris. Doris and Boris. Doris and Boris, yeah. She wants a sexy one. She doesn't get it. And, you know, and honestly, um, also the part, and he really had it coming when he is hiding in the shadows and she's doing her little sexy dance and, you know, she's she thinks she's, she's, she's going to have to place this device and there's a moment there where she thinks she's gonna have to have sex with this guy. Um, but then she she no, no, she just she just can't do it. She just can't go there. Um, which is the final like nail in that whole she she never was going to cheat on him coffin, right? You know, that was never actually going to happen. Then she picks up the phone and knocks the fuck out of him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he had that shit coming. He, did. he really did. He, they scared the shit out of her, and and had her in that interrogation room, and uh, just it was. He he turned. He, his he had every bit of that coming. He had that whole. He turned his wife into a stripper, and a hot one. Um, you have to say because yes. again, Jamie Lee Curtis she, is gorgeous. She fine. Yeah. Um. Um. And I like that part where where he drops the recorder because it was like, holy shit, that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> of her is this sort of mousy dowdy woman that he lives with but she's clearly longing for adventure which is how she got into this mess so he secretly is trying to give her the adventure that she wants but also I think testing her to see if right. she's really going to cheat on him um, but she you know I mean so that that's a movie that plays with secrets in a way that is both expected but also very satisfying um, because, you know, we really enjoy those kind of, you know, with those kinds of secrets, we're expecting a reveal. And we're really looking forward to that reveal in whatever fashion it happens. Um, and so it's really, really satisfying. Now, where you kind of kind of get in trouble is when people are expecting a reveal. And it's, it's sometimes people try to get original with a reveal, and do something and do it in a way it's never been done before, and it kind of falls flat. You know, it's like, oh, that wasn't that was okay. Um, and then everybody gets pissed off, and you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know about anybody never else, but for me, um, I found the way the reveal was done in Captain America: The Winter Soldier the reveal about S.H.I.E.L.D. and all of the Avengers stuff, I found that, that, because they're setting up that Captain America doesn't want these secrets, um, I found the way it kind of all came together to be really kind of, ugh. I found it abusive. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of S.H.I.E.L.D. has gone out of their way since the World War II, since World War II, to capture secrets nobody else needs to know. They spy on people because what what isn't what doesn't come out in the movie and what is Marvel canon is that Shield knew who Peter knew who Spider Man was. They knew his name. 
they known they knew his name practically from the moment Spider-Man appeared on the scene. And there were other secrets like that. And if you look at the bigger world, Shield probably also had the names of mutants in their databases, and all of this was revealed. Mm-hmm. Thrown out Just there in the out world the in a very irresponsible and ugly way. There is honestly, in reality, if this was a reality situation, there are no, there was no telling how many people were murdered outright because their secrets were revealed. Right. And that was a case because, where they yeah. they tried to mitigate how ugly that whole the way the reveal was done by having this whole Hydra subplot. Um, the problem is it, is it didn't change. It doesn't change. Just because they made something really ugly at the core of S.H.I.E.L.D., it didn't change how awful it was the way they did that data dump of information. And um, and so it was one of those things, like I went into that movie and... Um, I you know I was expecting from early on they foreshadowed that there was going to be because they foreshadowed really quickly that Captain America was tired of secrets, um, so you knew something was going to happen. So there was going to be some kind of come to Jesus moment in this, but the the come to Jesus moment they chose was I one I found deeply very upsetting, and it, it went it's from appalling. Being, and then he yeah, turns around um, in the next movie and goes out of his way to defend the Winter Soldier, Bucky. I get it, it's his friend. But the thing is, is that there are lots of people in Bucky's situation that Steve isn't going to bat for. Right. I thought he didn't and want it, any more it, secrets. Why the fuck is the registration a problem for him? Right. Right? So, the, right. The, the consistency is completely off. And so that's a case of where, and that's one of the things you can kind of get into um, with when you're trying to do something um, in an unexpected way or or whatever, is you have to be careful about the internal consistency of your story because sometimes the unexpected, either you have to be withholding information, which is fine, um, but if you've given information, you can't, you don't want to conflict with it because then you're just going to, that's just, this is going to anger the audience when the information, when the, when the end, when the reveal conflicts with other stuff that's happened in the, in the arc and the story and the franchise, whatever, that conflict, it, and it's going to spawn a bunch of fan fiction in the case of um, movies or TV, but if you're talking about your story, I mean, no one's going to write fan fiction to fix your inconsistencies, you know, right? <laughs> that would be weird um, and, and inappropriate, but that's what we do with these kind of inconsistencies in shows we like and with characters we like, we try to we try to fix them. Um, and that reveal, as like I said, you've got to be really careful with how you're handling because reveals are, are they're cataclysmic in 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 whatever whatever level of plot they're in, whether it's a reveal to the world or a big reveal in a relationship. The, whether you know if you got your character has a deep dark secret, um like that they are in witness protection or whatever. Whatever that reveal is, it, at whatever level that secret is, the, re- the big reveal is, is usually cataclysmic in, in that moment. It, it's a big, it, it's a climactic moment. And if it, if it goes wrong, 
the reveal, or it makes people feel yucky, or it makes them dislike your main character. Um, I would call that unintended consequences that can have far-reaching ramifications. Because it changed, I went it, that that movie, that moment in The Winter Soldier, changed my perception of Captain America. It changed my perception of the franchise. I felt like that they were doing a lot of weird things that didn't make sense. In because the Marvel Cinematic Universe has disregarded Marvel canon where it suits them and embraced Marvel canon when they wanted to. So they didn't have to go the Civil War route, but they chose to. And there's all these weird things that were more character contradictions to try to make Civil War happen. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those, it's just, a, it's that was a really painful reveal for me, um, as opposed to where we're talking about, like, the satisfying reveal that we got in True Lies, the reveal, the big secret reveal, the big reveal at the end in, in Captain America was not satisfying at all. It was actually deeply upsetting. Yeah, I somebody said that the second Avengers, Age of Ultron, um, is the is where I thought that they made weird choices with Tony's characterization. It was like you had the Winter Soldier, and you make weird choices with Captain America's characterization in order to set us up for Civil War, and then in Age of Ultron, you make weird choices with Tony Stark's characterization to set us up for Civil War, and it um, it just didn't work. It just didn't work. It starts to feel contrived, and it felt like they were trying to make something happened. I don't know why they did. They just didn't do a completely new arc for the movies. For yeah. The, they for the movie verse. Do. I agree. They didn't have to go to Civil War. But they chose to. That was a decision that they made. That they wanted to have that conflict, I guess. But... Um, You know, I don't. I don't think it served them at all. Which is why more and more and more you see stories written, you know, fan fiction stories written, where people say, "I disregarded everything after Avengers Assemble." Well, yeah, because they lost their mind. No wonder. <laughs> right. Right. It's like we get it, dude. We get it. We understand. And the funny thing about secrets in a story, in a movie, in a TV show, whatever, secrets can be so vital, so critical to the plot, to the story, to whatever, in a really good way, or they can be so fucking annoying. So annoying. It is weird that you have this kind of polarity with with basically the same thing. It's like information not being revealed. Um, and it's sort of like you ever had a read something or seen a, read a book or seen a show or whatever where it's like they're they're pulling the reveal out way past its expiration date. It's like you have a TV show where you know it's almost revealed and then oh somebody stumbles in and the secret isn't told, um, and then another episode two down the road the person you know works up their nerve to tell the secret again. And, um, oh, this other contrived, a car accident happens, this other contrived thing happens, oh, and the secret isn't out. Until it's at this critical moment of sharing where, like, it has to be told now or someone's going to die. 
It's like, well, why didn't you tell me, you know, a year ago? Well, I just couldn't. That just starts to feel so... Oh, fuck you in your eyeball. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> the, that. The, there's a thin line, I think, between a secret reveal and betraying your reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you need to be careful on that line. Um, and But, the, you know, there are also some really huge secrets that are a betrayal of society. So when they're revealed, they're they're horrifying and appalling. Um, I think the Stargate would be an excellent example of that. Um, the magical world being hidden, um, no matter their reasons, would be another. Um, the fact that aliens live on Earth and um, in Men in Black, as Julie talked about earlier, would be another really um, visceral secret that you just... You know, and that's why you, you talk about um, you talk about those, these big secrets and how, and how they're too big to be revealed. And I think that magic actually qualifies. I'm not sure about the Stargate program because I've written it both ways, um, but magic um, and the magical world and um, magical things being hidden, um, magical places being hidden, and magical creatures. I think it's almost too big to reveal without catastrophic consequences, which is why when I wrote it um, in uh, one of my in, in one of my stories, the reveal of the magical world basically um, is a trigger for the destruction of mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, and what you have to have when you have something like like what, the, the phrase here is really good in the, the betrayal when you have that kind of betrayal of of basically humanity going on, you, people feel betrayed by their government or whatever. They are you have to, if you want to counter that, you know, it has to be something. Um, I was going to point out the Vesson and Grimm. That's another case of a really big institutional secret. Um, when you when you have you have to counter it if you don't want it to be cataclysmic. Otherwise, it's going to feel off. Um, and like so, usually, and with the magical world being revealed, um, and and rightly so, it is it, it is apocalyptic in its effect. Um, in in most of the story stories I read, and it's it, and it feels real. That's the way it would go. It, that it, people would would go to war with each other, um, lose so their minds. Of, well, they already right. lose their minds over the smallest things, um, and things that in the in the scope of the universe matter so little. I well, I started. Well, I'm working on it in in tangent with something else. But I have this. It's sort of a. Uh, I won't explain the context of it exactly because that's a long story. But so I had this thing where I was working on this Harry Potter thing where I wanted there to be a magical reveal. But it was sort of like um, magic knew that there there would come this point in in the future where there would have to be um, a great benefit to humanity when the magical world was revealed in order to um, buy sort of buy the acceptance of the general populace that magic was okay and to kind of mitigate their anger and um, what I have happen is is that you know I have earth mages who 
what they do is they live a very long time because they're truly a different type of, of mage. And and in the course of their life, when they feel like their life is at an end, they take their final form, which is the form of a tree, um, always some type of tree, and that tree establishes a lay node. And so from the beginning of magic up until modern day, earth mages have been coming into existence, um, and when they've lived, finished that their life, they take their final form, they become one with the earth, and they create a new lay node. And the purpose of this web of nodes is because about the time that magic is at risk of being revealed, um, there's going to be an alien invasion. And this has all been happening um, to create um, this lay web that is going to enable magical people to power a planetary shield to protect the Earth from alien invasion. And that is the... Now, my first thought was, how many, I wonder how many of those trees got cut down by assholes. Well, Plus those trees are safe. <laughs> They're safe trees. They are safe <laughs> because the magical, world, the magical world protects them um, because magical communities come up, come up around them. So like the Whomping Willow at Hogwarts is one of these magical lay nodes. Um, so they tend to be in magical communities or magical communities instinctively form around one when a new tree comes, it comes up. Anyway, so that was the, the, the price of um, magic had sort of arranged it over, you know, millennia that this plan that when um, the non-magical world and the magical world would come into conflict, that the magical world would be able to save the non-magical world um, through this protracted plan, this elaborate plan that had been going on. Anyway. Um, Is this a Harry Potter fic? Yes. I'm super excited already. Anybody else? So, keeps, I'm super excited. What's your pairing? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get a vote in it or anything. I'm just curious. (laughs) Well, this is, because I, weirdly, um, this is the sequel to Slytherin Black. Because um, um, the the Earth Mage in question, that's the last Earth Mage, is Neville. So, um... You can't plant Neville! (laughs) No, 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 no. Neville, Neville won't be planted for a long time. And he plants himself. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so it's um, uh, but anyway, so I thought that that was the if I wanted a peaceful coexistence at the point of magical the reveal, that there had to be sort of a sort of a recompense for the betrayal of the secret, you know what I mean? And that's kind of what I came up with. So yeah. We'll save the world, and then you'll forgive us. Um, and you and we'll forgive you to... for all the witch burnings. <laughs> right, there's no... <laughs> <laughs> Just let you know we didn't do it because for no reason. We we hid from your dumb asses because you weren't... It it was the dark ages, things got dark. <laughs> And like the the other response, the great response, anytime you kept magic a secret from us, and all you have to do is go. If she floats, she's a witch. <laughs> 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 I 
and that's just your response because there's nothing else to say, right? Because none of them floated. <laughs> you assholes were actually stoning witches in the 1800s. So, <laughs> so, um, secret, big secret. So, but whenever you have, I mean, now when it comes to something that's a little bit less. Um, Harry Potter, I think, magic is a a difficult reveal because you have that disparity between people. You have that power disparity between magicals and non-magical. And envy is a terrible thing. Envy, jealousy, that could power. When you're, when you're powering on really negative emotions, and especially if the magical world has a sense of superiority. Um, whereas if you, when you go to something more science fiction where you've got like the reveal of Stargate, um, you don't have that um, – a good PR team can, can mitigate the damage, right? How you reveal, what you reveal, introducing new technology as you're revealing. You know, you would do a stage – you would do a, you know, a really um, drawn-out staged program to, to reveal something like Stargate Program. You wouldn't just, like, do that crazy shit they did in The Winter Soldier where you upload all the information about um, – about the program to, you know, Reddit and hope that everything goes well. I just, like, um, had the terrible, I just had the most terrible idea. Like a whole, like, you know, what if, like, overnight, like, uh, there was a site that suddenly appeared, Star Stargate Leaks. <laughs> just, like, and everything <laughs> is there. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and everything is there. But, you know, I, um, I do think... I think the best way to reveal Stargate um, is an alien invasion. Yeah, because people, Straight people up, forget. in your face, or I invasion, or gold, because people get on board with defending themselves real quick. Mm-hmm. But what now, we also one, know what, about people reacting to an alien invasion, um, in reality... Uh, we we have a, a people would kill themselves. There would be. I mean, it. I think in any big reveal like that, aliens are real. They're 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 in the sky. They're coming down. Um, the wraith are here. Magic is real. They're dragons and unicorns and vampires and werewolves. They're what? They're fuck. They're what? They're werewolves. <laughs> you know, and people would lose their fucking minds. And and. That, that's humanity for you. There will be those who could adapt and those who could not. And those who could not adapt would die. One way or another. Mm-hmm. And so it's a... That's why I think it's a betrayal of society of society um when you when you it, it just of course you know i'm not gonna say it um I'm not gonna, I, I, I can't talk about that on my radio show because I'll, I'll go off but what i am deeply disappointed in is the fact that roswell didn't actually happen because if roswell had actually happened and area 51 did have aliens there we would definitely know it by now <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say because <laughs> bitches cannot keep a secret. Um, 
When Wait, it comes no. to when it comes to the um the 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 scenario where you know you've got the alien invasion and the Stargate gets revealed and, and, and you know the the um the Daedalus is instrumental in saving the earth because of you know only you have all of that. And so you have a lot of people who are like, Oh, we're just so glad to be alive. Pause, pause, pause. Congressional hearings, you know, I mean that is that's that's the next thing is like even if people are accepting or grateful is that realistically people are going to you know even even congressmen and senators who would have been in the know about the Stargate program are going to be the ones thumping their fists the loud enough, loudest after an event like that saying that American people should have been told you know blah 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 um, I mean that's just that's kind of and, and that's one of the things you kind of have to when you're plotting, it's decide just how much reality do you want to deal with, and you can't avoid reality entirely because otherwise it just feels like, oh come on, you know, you can't just, you know, reveal the Stargate program, you know, like come to this new website, you know, StargateCommand.com, and read about what we've been doing for the last, you know, 15 years. Um, you'll love it, and expect people aren't going to be upset. That's really that's gonna just strike a that's gonna kind of land like, oh really nobody reacted? Did they give the entire world Valium? I mean, were they placing <laughs> the water supply? How did they achieve no reaction? Because it just doesn't seem. Real. Yeah, that was one but big damn stunning spell. <laughs> right, but you don't have to go all the way to, um, full on reality either. Because full-on reality, a lot of times when it comes to the betrayal, you know, that big betrayal, betrayal of humanity type thing, full-on reality is going to be ugly. And if you don't want to write ugly, you don't – but sometimes just getting in an element, you know, going going part of the way can make it feel very real without having to embrace the horror of congressional hearings and all that kind of craziness. And um I actually thought, you know, Agents of Shield kind of was a little bit realistic about how they how that would have gone down after Winter Soldier when all that. Because um, Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing this weird thing where Agents of Shield accounts for the movies, but the movies don't account for what's going on in Agents of Shield. So um, I find that deeply disturbing. I it, stopped watching Agents bit, of Shield. I, it's a, I don't. Yeah. I, I get it a little bit peripherally. I don't I watch it anymore it. either, but I, I my sister watches it diligently. So I sometimes walking through, you know, I walk through the house and I go, "What? I, I, I thought you were watching Agents of Shield? That's Ghost Rider. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> How does that have anything to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? So you know, but every, so I so I catch some plot lines here or there that I'm like I just don't get it. Um, but the um the um the way that the, the way they handled the movie is that shield imploded over the reveal and there were there were congressional hearings and um they sent military in um in the sh- in the show to to you know with with aggressively you know with prejudice to seize all shield sites um and 
you know, they were try they were vetting which assets they were going to fold into other agencies, and some assets were killed outright. And it was really dark and ugly the way that that the the way they interpreted the ramifications of the Winter Soldier on Agents of Shield. And I think that that's kind of a realistic. They kind of went the realistic direction. Um, and actually, it's one of the reasons why. I mean, I didn't like what happened in the Winter Soldier, and I wasn't comfortable with what I with what was going on in the TV show, even though I felt like um, it was realistic. But it wasn't mm-hmm. comfortable because, you know, I've got the news for that level of discomfort. I don't need right. to end my entertainment. Right. You know. That's why I can I haven't watched Civil War because if I wanted to be disappointed and um, upset and stressed out, I'd watch the news. Exactly. Exactly. But I know some people are really dig um, that kind of that 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 kind of gritty, reality-based stuff. Um, even even beyond reality, go to the more dystopian things. That's really some people's. Um, it's really some people's jam. They really get into it. It's not my personal thing, so um, it's a little bit, you know, my advice is not necessarily uh, if you like the more extreme. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't have probably, other than to be consistent, I think that advice works for regardless of which way you're going is to, you know, you got to have your own internal consistency when you're dealing with secrets and reveals and that kind of thing. But, um. Um, I wrote a story about an intimate secret, and I I find those the most interesting. When mm-hmm. when you've got a character who has a has an intimate secret that um, gets revealed, um, I mean not to society at large, but to to someone important to them, and and how they respond to that secret part of them being exposed. I um one of the reasons why I wrote um her secret is my Harry Hermione story about Hermione um going to a sex club to watch people have sex um because she's exploring um that desire in her uh the only way she can and be faithful to her husband. Uh and it uh I really, I really enjoy that kind of intimate secret that that can take place between um, a couple and and the, the exploration of that and coming to grips with um, your own expectations and uh, perceptions about the person that you're with and um, realizing that there's part of them that you didn't know about and it's really fascinating and interesting and wow, dude, where were you keeping that? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I really like exploring that in my writing. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. So when I wrote her secret, it was it was about that. It was about opening up that that part of of Hermione um, in that particular story, um, and and letting Harry see it and come to terms with it um, in a way that didn't hurt her, that that didn't make her feel um, ashamed of of what she needed and wanted in their relationship. I mean, he, you know, that she, that he didn't strip her power from her, you know, and um, that there was a power exchange happening 
and it was just it was you know a, a really satisfying writing experience is what I would say. And I think it I think it resonated because <clears throat> sexual secrets around sexual wants are sometimes the hardest over, to get around in in, re, in real life in relationships you know um, where you people somebody wants something. Um, they're not sure their partner's going to be into because people, you know, people instinctively don't want to be judged, um, and they don't want to put barriers in their relationships. They don't want to, you know, because it can be damaging to a relationship where one partner has a strong desire for something that another, the other half of the relationship finds repellent. I mean, that would be kind of an extreme, right? Um, because I mean, you you know, you you see that, and you see this explored in stories. It's like, how do you get over? How do you get it out of your head? The fact that this thing, the one thing they really want, is something you're not willing to do. And even if they say, "Oh, I can let it go," you're kind of always thinking, "Well, are, this is still something they want. They think they can let it go, but are they going to let it go?" And people are neurotic and they obsess. And so it's because we see examples in in media about this going you know not well and well these kind of sexual secrets um it can be a very difficult subject for um couples to approach or any individual you know male female what does it matter wanting something like what Hermione wanted in her secret that Harry found out about um inadvertently and so that really resonated because her keeping it secret felt like it's something that that would happen that's that's the way it would go down is that she would be trying to satisfy that need without bringing it up because there's that there's that rejection and that's um, the fear of rejection there's guilt mm-hmm. and fear and um trying to balance the happiness that you have with the happiness that you could have, right. you know, and it's because, that you want. because and when you love somebody, you you're you're very vulnerable to to their judgment, mm-hmm. um, and so there are a thousand ways that Harry could have approached that particular situation that would have been catastrophic for their relationship, um, if he had revealed himself in the moment that first time in that little room where she's watching those two people, um, it would have been a nightmare for her. It would have been it would have been every nightmare she probably had come true. Mhm. In that particular and, situation with her husband. So And she probably would have shut down emotionally and just it, sometimes when you're confronted about something in the wrong way it, there's no being rational. There's no talking through it. You just freak out, and however, the, however that manifests, whether you freak out and get very emotional, or you freak out and your emotions shut off, um, and that can that either either place is not a, a way that it, a way that fosters good communication. And so it is very. It's a very difficult secret that that deep, you know, that dark desire kind of thing. Um, is is a realistically difficult thing for a couple to deal with, uh, and how it's approached and how that reveal happens. Um, as a matter of personal taste, I don't like um, humili- humiliation. So, 
Um, When that's handled in a way or confronted in a way in stories where humiliation is a factor, I get deeply uncomfortable with that resolution. Um, To to outing the secret where one partner gets really embarrassed and is humiliated in some fashion, Um, even if there's a good, I think there was a fine line for me there, and I tried, I I tried hard because for me, humiliation and um, making someone ashamed of, of themselves in a way that is completely inappropriate um, really bothers me. And so um, I had two options to her reaction, you know, anger and, but I went with more of a fear response, like a fight or flight. And she, you know, if he hadn't had a hold of her, she'd ran. (laughs) Yeah. And I I I think maybe he knew that, you know, so. Nothing about what you wrote in that story. I thought it was it really resonated because I felt like it was like kind of an optimal way for that whole situation to get handled. And I do think most people would go to a fear place. Um, and I mean, I admit I had a little bit of a secondhand embarrassment on 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 Hermione's behalf in that story a couple times. But secondhand embarrassment, mm-hmm. if it if it's wrapped up in a good way, is not. You know, that's not. I mean, it's just something that kind of I'm very sensitive to secondhand embarrassment, which is probably why humiliation scenes don't work for me. But there is a difference between a little bit of embarrassment and, I can't and fear. Watch, I, I can't watch comedies where people make fun of other people because it makes me deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, I, because there is a difference between embarrassment and humiliation. Um, it's like when a when a when a when a secret is confronted publicly, an embarrassing secret is, is co- uh, confronted publicly. That's humiliating, um, and that that's where I get uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, I, I talked to, I was actually talking to somebody about something recently, and so I'm going to preface this with saying that there's a difference. When I, when I talk about, like, my preferences, there's a difference between there being my preferences, making some something that I've read or watched or whatever, and I'm not comfortable with it for whatever reason because of my preferences, my life experiences, whatever. That's a difference than finding a fault in the work. And, um, you know, I have I can only speak from where you know my experiences and 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 a lot of times I am talking about my opinions. Um, so unless it's unless it's matters of craft, a lot of times when it comes to you know content of stories that's strictly down to to preference and i think that that's one of the things that people forget is that there's a difference between um not liking something because it doesn't appeal to your preferences or doesn't appeal to whatever it is that draws you into something and it being a fault of the work and i think a lot of times people tend to project their dislike onto the story the movie the tv show as being a Law, and I mean sometimes we can look at some things and go, you know, there were continuity errors or whatever. I'm not talking about like craft, basic craft and continuity and consistency. But when it comes to matters of like whether you're going to do a dystopian future or, you know, everything turns up roses, um, I mean that's a matter of preference. And when I say that I don't like a dystopian future, that's me not. I'm not projecting my dislike onto stories that have a dystopian future at all. I'm not finding okay. fault fault in them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Too long, didn't listen. Don't email um, Don't email her about her personal opinion. She's about to reveal to us. <laughs> no, 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 I, I mean, I, I've heard of really, the thing is when I, 
I've already revealed enough of my opinions that I probably will get some emails, you know, about, well, have you considered da-da-da-da? No, and I don't fuck this, you, I don't. And I had Just take a picture of yourself double burning and respond yeah. back to it. Because I had this conversation with somebody recently. It's like, if I, you know, it was after I had made a comment on something where I said, you know, if I um, have a short attention span, um, is a long, nuanced, complicated story boring, or do I have a short attention span? And I think that we tend to jump to that story, that TV show, whatever, is flawed because it didn't appeal to me as opposed to this is my preference. So I'm expressing a lot of preferences here because I know, like, um, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of BDSM stories um, have a heavy humiliation aspect to them, and I I just can't read it because as much as I like no. you know BDSM, I can't read that heavy humiliation. Even even sometimes even a light humiliation overtone in a story, it just makes me so uncomfortable. And that's about my life experiences. And some people really dig that. So you know, whenever I say I don't like something, it really is about what I like, and it is not reflective of a flaw in anybody else's preferences or judging anybody else's preferences or whatever. We all have different Your mileage may vary. <laughs> exactly. Cuz if you if you really like humiliation in 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 um in your BDSM, you know, you're, you're going to be able to find that out there. Trust me. Conversely, there are plenty of things that I am super judgy about and I don't care if you like it or not. There you go. Formatting is one of them, bitches. Format your shit. <laughs> I am judged about formatting too. Uh, but see, I would call I call a wall of text a flaw personally. But you know, <laughs> it's a super flaw. It's actually a bigger flaw than it's just it's ah. Oh, format your shit. If I ever troll anybody, it will be anonymously on Ao3 giving a link to the instructions on how to fucking format their fic. <laughs> Well, it's like, do these people not go back and look at their stories after they post them? Do they not see Lazy that wall of text? It's just laziness. It's just it laziness. laziness. It's not that hard to fix. And it's not that hard to fix. If your paste comes in bad and you get a wall of text, it is not that difficult to fix that shit. But it's just, it, I don't get it, because the whole point of posting your shit is because you want someone to read it, right? Well, if it's fucking unreadable, then you've defeated your purpose. Right. I can't read a wall of text. And if you can, okay. So tell well, us what you were talking about to your friend about. Oh no, we were we were talking about um, we were talking about actually some specific, very specific kinks and in BDSM. Um, and I said I didn't want to read something she was recommending to me. Um, and and there was this element of defensiveness, like I was saying that their BDSM was bad or something. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. No. No, it's not, your, it's not like there's, there's no flawed BDSM here, okay? It's just, I don't like that, you know? I don't like, um, like, for instance, you know, rope bondage, intricately described, puts me in a coma. Um, it's kind of boring. I'm sure I'm, some, some people really dig reading about all those ropes and knots and where they're exactly placed on the body. Um, I don't. I don't dig it. I don't dig it at all. So... Um, you know, if somebody recommends something to me, it goes, oh, you know, there's no humiliation in this, but there's, you know, 3,000 words 
trying to get a knot tied. <laughs> no. But some people, I know some people really like that. It's sort of like the 6,000-word sex scene. I would never read that. But some people really, really, the longer and more drawn out a sex scene is, the more intricate detail it has, the more they like it. And that's why there's something for everybody out there. That's why there's some people whose favorite movie in the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe is The Winter Soldier. And I can't stand it. (laughs) For for reference, the average chapter in a commercial work of fiction is about 5,000 words. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just saying. Just FYI. Just thought you should know. (laughs) It's a matter of... um, I did read so a six thousand word sex scene recently, and I, I kept, I kept, you know, it kept kind of scrolling, 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 periodically checking. Tired. I'm really tired. What's going I'm on. exhausted. Scrolling, I'm tired. scrolling, scrolling. Wow. And then, for and then going, sake, I'm come like, already, bitch. I'm like, that seemed really long. Was that as long as it felt like it was? It, it seemed like it was really long. And then I'd go highlight it and drop it into, a, you know, Word to see how long it was, and it was six thousand words, and I was like. Holy crap! <laughs> That's I, I, you know, I, and I have a friend. I immediately know I could recommend that to. <laughs> gonna love the shit out of that. <laughs> you are gonna love this so hard. <laughs> Look at this porn. Look at fucking love it. Um, no, but I but I do enjoy intimate secrets and um uh. It's kind of why I always really enjoy those pics in Stargate where um, John's basically been pining after McKay since Antarctica, and no one knows, and he thinks no one knows but him. <laughs> and everybody knows. <laughs> but Rodney? <laughs> it's like the one person that probably should know, doesn't? I love it. I fucking love it. And that, that's sort of like a reverse reverse secret trope there, which is that like the couple in question – Everybody thinks they're in a relationship but them. <laughs> so, like, the secret's being kept from the people who have the secret. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it's like, I, it's, I don't even know how to, how to explain that, but it's just, it's so great. I mean, you see, I've seen that in... Um, that in would Jazz. be UST. But my favorite, yes. my favorite UST um, is when Rodney comes up to... Shepherd, and it's in a fic, and I, I I wish I could find it for you. I really do, guys. I'm sure Willow's gonna pop it right out as, as soon as I say it. And Rodney comes up to John, and he's kind of pissed off, and he wants to know what UST is, and he's saying it U S T E A. Um, and he's like, I never had any. What is it? And they, they were talking about it, and they said that you have it. <laughs> <laughs> and John's like, Yeah, yeah, I've got some UST. <laughs> If we keep talking it's about great. it, it won't be you much longer. <laughs> It'll be unresolved instead of unspoken. <laughs> but we can deal with the unresolved part. But you know, I would, there's, you know, there's a story. I want to say it's by Ellen's Cult, where um, everybody thinks Gibbs and Tony are dating except Gibbs, <laughs> <laughs> and he is. He's basically dating Tony for six months. And that's the one. It, never argue with Papa Gibbs. Yeah, that's the one. Never argue <laughs> right? with Papa Gibbs. Right. Exactly. When, once he, once he's confronted with this thing that everybody thinks, 
He's like, no. And so Tony's like, well, okay. And then he's like, wait a minute, bring it back. Wait, 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 bring it back. I changed my mind. I, I think we were dating. My favorite part is his dad joins P-Flag. It's great. Yeah, it is great. So he can so cute. see people who are in his situation. <laughs> but secrets are so integral integral to um, to tropes. To tropes and uh, whether she uses a plot device, because you also have, you have the um, it's something you can foreshadow. You have that character who can never keep a secret. Um, that's a type, form of secret trope is the person who can't keep a secret. Um, Hagrid. Hagrid. Um, usually on a sitcom, there's a character who can't. Abby, you know, on NCIS, Abby would be the person who can't keep a secret. So you can almost bet. You can almost. I mean. Now, some people do write it differently that, you know, um, Abby is great with secrets. But more often than not, when someone's telling early, like telling Abby a secret early on in, um, in, in a story, I'm actually presuming that this is foreshadowing, that Abby's not going to be able to keep that secret. So, um, but secrets can be so much fun. But you know, from a from a personal, this is this is this is a fan fiction thing. Although I also see it in 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 novels. You see, actually, you see it in every form of media. Is there's a type of secret because there are secrets that you can take too far, and one of those is um, the deep personal secret, the dark personal secret, or. A, a, a character's past comes back to haunt them or whatever, and that they decide when that happens that they're going to keep it secret from the people who care about them. And that trope, um, that almost never works out well. <laughs> I'm just going to no. say it. That's my opinion, is that that almost never For works out well. For your own good. Because most, because usually what happens, the trope usually goes like this, is the person vanishes off the grid or in some fashion, maybe maybe they put in for vacation, whatever they disappear to go off and deal with this problem, and they get into trouble, and the people that they've been trying to protect are either at risk or get involved anyway, trying to bail them out from their own bad decisions. And I think if it if this was the first time any of us had ever seen that, um, it might be novel, but we've all seen that so many times, movies, TV shows, books, fan fiction, um, that that is a trope that if you're thinking about using it, I would challenge you to try to find a different spin on it. Um, you know, like maybe Tony has a deep, dark secret that comes back, and he wants to protect them, and so what he does is he... Instead of going off to deal with his problems, I don't know, he goes and gets an RPG and blows up the bad guy. Just, you know, <laughs> do something. Just, just take a completely different approach. sternly worded surface-to-air missile. <laughs> there you go. As opposed to the path of he can't deal with it, Gibbs has to come and rescue him, Gibbs gets involved anyway, and then they have to have a big reveal. Um because you, do, I, I get it. You have to balance oversharing with the appropriate moment for your reveal. Because you don't want your character to just, you know, word vomit in the middle of the bullpen. Um, every dark thing that's ever happened to them, and that this is why the mob is knocking on the door. Um, 
But you know, one of my favorite secrets in the Hobbit fandom is one of the characters goes back in time, but keeps a secret from everybody else and tries to fix all the shit. Yes. <laughs> that is, that's a good one. Um, no, for is... fuck's sake, don't lose the ponies this time. <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't it be great if Bilbo went back in time, like, maybe he's like 10 years before the quest, and he like, just, you know what? I'm not waiting on Gandalf. He, like, trains a whole bunch of hobbits and they go to Erebor and kill the dragon. <laughs> there you go. Or maybe he goes and recruits a different dragon. It's like, look, I have found there is a cache of gold for you if you go deal with that red dude who's occupying my future mountain. I plan to plant things around it, and I really appreciate it if you would... Can you just imagine the letter that Thorin would get? Dear Thorin, (laughs) you don't know me. My name is Bilbo Baggins, and me and my friends have come to Erebor, and and the dragon is dead, and um, we need you to come and and bring your army to protect the gold. (laughs) We don't need the gold. We're fine. But we need your help getting the dragon out for fertilization. (laughs) We're going to use him for fertilization. For our we field. We have babies to plant. We have babies to plant. So if you would hop to it. Come cut up the dragon for us. We need him to fertilize the desolation. <laughs> we don't have bladed. Our blades just are not up to the task. Can you just imagine them all getting there? And there are like ten hobbits. She's not in the chat room, but it's still her fault. It is her fault. This Anytime is Bracky happens. It's it's her, it's her influence. And and you know, and he shows up. He goes, "Did you lose the rest of your company? Did your rest of your army were killed, slayed by the dragon?" And they're like, "Well, you know, no. I mean, no. Hamfa- Hamfast sprained his ankle, but everybody else is fine." <laughs> Oh, here's your shiny rock. I understand it's important to you. <laughs> we found this. We don't like it. It doesn't have a good feel to it. It's kind of ugly. <laughs> ugly on the isn't, inside. Isn't there isn't <laughs> Beauty there a Hobbit fic? Deep, isn't there a Hobbit fic where Bilbo plants the Arkansas? Yes! And he makes a whole bunch of them, and he plants crockery, and he just plants everything and makes a whole, oh, God, it's so funny. It's like, and then and they ask and about it. And Thorne starts well, passing them out as diplomatic gifts. <laughs> and Sandro yeah, gets mad because he doesn't pink. <laughs> he didn't get a pink one, and he gets mad. Mine's not pink. Oh, shit. <sighs> yeah, it does amuse me the idea of a bunch of hobbits tooks. It'd be Bilbo Baggins and like ten tooks, <laughs> they'd just be sitting on the side of the mountain next to the door. Oh, they Bilbo would know how to open tooks. it on Durance Day. Of course, he'd need the key. No, it only it only the 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 um they were just going through the front door, but it uh. That it was only the, the the doorway was only shown on Durance Day, but presumably if you knew where it was, you wouldn't yeah. need to be shown the door. 
They get to pick the lock. But they're hobbits. They could probably go through the front door. They could crawl in. Yeah, they're totally going through the front door. So one of the things, you know, one of the things I did in the world building for, I did, I did that one Hobbit story. It was Hospitality of Hobbits. Uh, and my world mm-hmm. building for that, because like you know the stuff you world build that never makes them the story, and um, um, that hobbits used to originally came from the north, like way in the north where dragons were from, and one of the staples of the hobbit diet was this weed that was poisonous to dragons, and so therefore hobbits were poisonous to dragons, like the hobbits themselves. <laughs> like if you don't fuck, if you fuck with us. We're going to make you eat me, and then you're going to die. <laughs> like, literally, the hobbits were toxic. So, um, and so they learned how to... <laughs> yes, they were toxic to dragons. So the, the thing that thing the dragons were the most of, like, hobbits, little, little tiny hobbits, were like the boogeymen for dragons over many, you know, <laughs> millennia. It's like tribbles, um, and so, it's like tribbles and Klingons. Right. So they had this... They, they learned to weaponize this weed, and it was sort of like... Look, if you if you leave us alone, we won't kill you, um, and we'll just live in harmony. And so they had this this treaty between the hobbits and the dragons that they would leave hobbits alone. And so that becomes um, in the sequel I had planned the the method by which they deal with Smaug is that um, Bella Belladonna um, travels north to tap her foot in an annoyed fashion and tell the dragons that they are breaking the treaty because her future husband's um, mountain has a dragon in it, and that's not acceptable. <laughs> and they better do something about it right now. And so the dragons actually deal with Smaug. They go and get him out. <laughs> Look, i got plans. He's in the way. He's there. He's in my future home. Our treaty says that you cannot do this. You don't get to be where we are, so go get him out of my husband's house. That's just the way this has to be. (laughs) I'm calling on you to enforce our treaty. Otherwise, I'm going to spray you with this stuff. (laughs) Don't make me go to Erebor and kill him myself. I'm already naming the tooks in my head. I'm going to end up writing that. It's ridiculous. You definitely need to take tooks. That it definitely has to be a bunch of tooks because who else would go? <laughs> in my spirit born fic, um, there um. Bella and um, Thorin have come back in time together, um, and um, they're dealing with the exposure uh, of their secret as both being spirit-born and being married for five years as they travel towards Erebor. But they also have a secret that they can't share with anybody, and that's the fact that, that they've traveled back in time, that they have... Um, they have more than one mission. They they have to secure Erebor. They have to kill the dragon. They have to get rid of the ring. And um, these are the things that have been asked required of them um, in order for them to get a second chance to be together. Uh, and uh, it it was it was getting kind of heavy. So I, so I gave um, Bella an ant wife. 
and Aunt Wife and and and, and, and Dwalin don't like each other. <laughs> so it's you know it's it is what it is. Um, I didn't plot the Aunt Wife, so I had to go back and kind of push her in. Um, and there's a scene where um, Thorin has made Adara, that's the Aunt Wife, um, a weapon, and he made her a war hammer, and he made it out of um, Elrond's old anvil. Um, the blacksmith anvil, the, the thing, you know, the mm-hmm. acme. Anyway, she's got this on her shoulder. <laughs> she's <laughs> tooling along, <laughs> couldn't be happier. <laughs> it's all like, I can't believe you gave the big tree a weapon. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> it's just a gift. Better a, a thing that she's going to keep in her hand than rocks she's going to throw at people. Well, you can't control rocks once you let go of them. But um, anyway, it's amusing me because the because the secrets of it got heavy. Um, mm-hmm. There is a, a really dark theme underneath that story um, of, of of grief and sacrifice uh, and um, all of pain that they both went through in their previous lifetime that they're having to reconcile as they move towards Erebor and towards the day, a repeat of the day where they were separated um, and she was left alone. So it's, it's um, sometimes when you have a big secret like that, that in, and you have these, these circumstances running underneath your story that are really dark, you you want to put something on top of it to lighten it up so you don't drag your reader down and, and depress the fuck out of them. Unless you have a reader who really enjoys being depressed. I don't happen to like it, so I don't write it. That's right. I don't right. really often write dark, angsty shit. Um, I have like... I have that one story on, on my side that I think is really, really dark. It's called In the Blood. Um where John and Rodney are tortured to death repeatedly and, and put in a healing pod, and at the end of it, Rodney commits genocide. You're, you're probably all thinking, oh, that's not what happened, but that's exactly what he did. Yeah, that's dark. It's called In the Blood, and... Um, it's the darkest thing I've ever written, and I read it, and I wrote it for a um, um, a story. Um, I uh, maybe Christmas SGA, SGA Christmas, um, and uh, the requester asked for a dark, utop- a dark, um, angsty uh, dystopia, and that, that is the darkest I could go. So I hope they liked it. <laughs> it was just as that's dark as I could I could go. I mean, and it was, um, everybody who didn't have the ancient gene on that planet died, which was pretty much all of them, because they were torturing Rodney to make him work on an ancient device because they couldn't get it to work. But um, well, everybody like I said, there was a radius. So 
I get the, the women and children in the village, maybe further out from the gate, didn't die. But then they blew up the building that the gate was in, so... They're never getting off that planet again. Anybody who did survive. Yeah. Which could be, depending upon the the nature of the planet, could be a death sentence. Yeah. People, I mean, people have, you have, I mean, you know what your audience is. I mean, your audience reads the kind of stuff that you write. Um, and everybody, right. so people who write, typically write darker, angstier stories, if, you know, whatever audience they have reads those types of stories. So it's not like anybody has to go away from what they normally write or what their normal preference is. Um, I think most of, even though, even if Kira and I are talking about our preferences are the kind of things we would write or how we would approach something. Um, the more important thing is, like, if you if you write something completely different, it's not about changing what you write, but it's more about, you know, consistency, um, internal consistency, characterization consistencies. Um, and it doesn't matter what kind of thing you write. There's some things readers typically don't like. They don't like bait and switch. Um, they don't like it, you know, nobody likes it when... Um, well, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm going to make the caveat. Some people do like an unreliable narrator. I'll admit I don't understand these people. <laughs> people do I've do only like ever liked one. I've only ever liked one, and that would be um, Amelia Peabody. And I think because um, she's lying to herself as well as the reader. An unreliable narrator is it's usually a first person or sometimes second person, which is a nightmare. Um where I've been a third person too. It's very odd. Yeah. You can't trust the narrator as a reader. The narrator tells you lies. Tells you things but that are true. A lot of times you don't know cuz like I read a story once where I didn't know it was an unreliable narrator. It was the character's point of view is all these horrible things were happening. Um and you don't find out until the past the three-quarter mark that everything, everything in the story that that character had perceived was wrong because they had been under the influence of um, a drug of some sort. And so they were be- perceiving all these betrayals, and so you were hating um, you, you are, were hating the 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 you know the other the other cast members um, from the shows of the fan fiction, and you were really starting to dislike them, and it was like, oh my god, everybody's so awful. And then you find out that no, everybody is not awful. They're trying to help the character who's on the, the under the influence of the this drug. And um, it, for me, that is, I I understand what the author was doing, and they did it. They actually did it so well that I did not suspect unreliable narrator. Um, but that it was a reveal about the unreliable narrator occurred past the three quarter mark on the story. It was a fairly long story. So you're talking a hundred thousand words, and I put at least eighty thousand words into it, not knowing I had an unreliable narrator. And so that's the moment where you get turned on your head, and you realize that everything you've read is a lie. Um, 
I would almost rather know that their narrator is unreliable than not know they're unreliable. So it's just I don't know. It's 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 a it's a it's a style of of narration that I have a particularly hard time with. I don't like feeling like I can't count on what I'm reading. Um, but I know people Fight really Club dig is it. An, Fight Club is an unreliable narrator. I like situation. that one, but I was so yeah. flummoxed by the unreliable. So there you go. I've got my one. I've got my one unreliable narrator. What what I like about about Amelia Peabody is that she's lying so obviously to herself about um, her age, um, about not dyeing her hair, uh, about being spry and and able to do the same thing she was doing in her twenties and thirties. I mean, she's just she's a big old liar. <laughs> like you know, like at the end, you know, with the mystery when the killer is revealed. I mean, I was like, I already knew that. I already knew that. I knew that all along. And you know she didn't know it because it's written in first person. And she didn't, nothing in the story revealed that she knew that. She didn't know it. She's lying. <laughs> She's just fucking hilarious. And it's just, you know. Well, there's always, if I think it's all, not always, but in many things, and many times, many times when it comes to genres, I'm not talking about pairings or kinks that you just don't like. But a lot of times the genre or whatever that you, um, typically don't like, a lot of times there is an exception to the rule. Almost always is an exception to the rule where it's just that that's the thing that turned it on its head and um, it was like perfect. I love it. I loved it. Um, it's sort of like you just, you just got to kind of find the right thing. And sometimes then maybe you liked it so much that then you're chasing that thing forever and you never find it that good again. And that's so frustrating. But, you know, so Fight Club was an unreliable narrator that really worked for me. Um, and I think it was because of the way the reveal happened. And this just comes back to the reveal, whatever your reveal is, because that's the case. An unreliable narrator is usually, not always, but usually a secret. Um, and how the reveal happens um, can make or break it. And Fight Club was the case of where it made it for me. Um, it yeah. happened right at the end, and it just turned your perception. It was like your brain just spun for like 30 or 40 seconds trying to grasp as they were doing that montage of him seeing all those events that he'd actually been, that he was Tyler for, um, that it was very satisfying. Um, so in that case, the reveal is why the unreliable, the unreliable narrator in that case worked for me. But a lot of times it's the reveal is why it doesn't work for me or that it wasn't revealed, you know, um, until a lot of times the reveal at the very, very end can, that's risky. But what, in a movie, it, it works better than a book, The unreliable narrator think. that makes me uncomfortable is the narrator who is completely unaware that their perspective is unreliable. Yeah. They that they're outside forces influencing everything around them, which is why I have to say it, the Truman show made me so profoundly uncomfortable. That was an uncomfortable movie. Not because they were watching him, but because they had shaped his perception so much that his reality did not exist. 
That's another that's a, that was an interesting spin on a secret, the secret trope. Is everybody's mm-hmm. in on the secret? Literally, every person in the world everybody. is in on the secret, except Truman. So that's the case. That was another case where the reveal in that case, you knew it was going to happen, and how it was done was super critical, because that is a massive betrayal that he and him underreacting um, could have been catastrophic. Um, the reveal happening in the wrong place in the movie because the reveal, well, you know, the reveal is gonna be the climax in that kind of um, movie. So if the reveal happens too early, um, then you've got you've got a fuck ton of falling action. Um, but it it just oh, it was just so uncomfortable. And that's where and that's the fundamental thing about the secret trope is that whatever kind of secret you're working with, if secrets have the power to make people uncomfortable. And that's something you have to be aware of, is that secrets can be disconcerting. And it's why when something gets drawn out too long, it can really make people angry, or people can be super uncomfortable over something like the Truman Show, where everybody is in on the secret except Truman, um, and it feels manipulative and abusive to him. Um, it is because and they I mean, they, was, they end it before the emotional fallout, b- before the true fallout. Because right. he's angry and he he wants out and he's frustrated and, and he's he realized that his and he has that moment when his ship hits the wall and he realizes that he lives in a fictional world. But eventually, he's going to have to reconcile the fact that he had sex with a woman. Who lied to him every moment that she knew him? Who was paid? Paid. He basically, he basically had his only sexual experiences in his life. He thought he had a wife. He had a hooker. Yeah. And Truman, um, that that level of of betrayal is not something that is easy. Or quick to get over. So you're right. It that it it ends at the moment that he walks away, but there really isn't any fallout. Um, the emotional fallout because that would be a very painful story as opposed to what they were trying to do with the movie. But Truman's life it's, was shaped by product placements. It's I mean, catastrophic. That is so creepy. The reality of the end of the Truman Show is that. He probably killed himself. Yeah, because there's not a single person he would encounter in the world who wasn't in on what was perpetrated against him. In some fashion, or he is a victim even, living on a world full of abusers. Right. Even if even if people who didn't approve or who tried to go to court and get that the show stopped, they still knew about they were still in on the secret. And that is a terrible thing about secrets is when everybody is in on it but you, it is super painful when it when it comes out. And Truman the Truman show had that on a scale that you I've never seen written in media before or in any, any form of entertainment. Um usually it's a group of people or a room full of people or a government that are in on the secret, and you're the maybe the one person in the group who should have been told and wasn't, and it's uncomfortable. 
And Truman had an entire planet in on a secret. Completely the thing is, secret. is there's, his reality was so controlled. There's a part of Inception that makes me deeply uncomfortable. I'm going to share it with you. How do we know they weren't still on a dream level when it ended? We don't know. We don't know if Cobb came out of um, um, the uh, of limbo. But more importantly, we don't know that the whole damn thing wasn't a dream. Right. The whole damn team, Arthur, Ames, they could all be part of Cobb's dream world. Everything. The mission, getting his kids back, all of it could be a dream. He could be in limbo, in a coma, in a hospital, and you never knew it. And they don't reveal it. Now, I like to think that they got out of limbo, and he got his kids back, and Arthur and Ames were off into the sunset on a private plane. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. That's what I like to think happened, but there's there's a lot of ambiguity there. But Truman Truman's reality, um, there's there's no going back from that kind of mental Which is how why... could he ever trust anything? Anything or anyone. His father, and I'm making air quotes here like you guys can see them. His father that's why his father's offer to stay inside the fantasy would probably be tempting to a degree. I mean, you knew Truman wasn't going to take it, but the reality of the world, there probably had to be times where dealing with the real world made him wonder if it wouldn't be better to have stayed in the fantasy. I mean, because how how does he ever trust? I mean, is it better to trust, to be in a situation where you know you can trust nothing than to wonder if you can trust anything. I mean, it's just the abuse that was heaped on him. I mean, he I you know, he he'd be wanting a stargate and to relocate to another planet. Um because that's just the the emotional abuse that he it was heaped on him and the and the the damage that was done to him. I don't know how he he'd come back from it. I don't think as a human being that we're designed to deal with that level of I think it would have literally driven him driven him insane because the human brain is fragile and to have your entire reality stripped away from you it's very difficult and to know that every single person around you is complicit That the only people on Earth who aren't complicit are the ones that aren't that are in the womb, mm-hmm. or who live in third world countries without TV. I mean, and you know, right. and even then, and even then, you'd be probably you know living out in some you know village um, with a hunter gatherer society, wondering had any of them been to a big city and watched that TV show? Um, hey, you, you know, know there little was- assholes. <laughs> 
just there's just nowhere to go from there. There's just nowhere to go. And so, no, and so they ended it where they ended it because they actually couldn't answer the question. How does it end? Not not and have it not be a major downer. You know how a lot of big movies come in twos, like concept movies come in twos. Like you have, um, you know, Deep Impact and Armageddon, and you had Volcano and Dante Peak. You know, a lot of times these big mm-hmm. movies come in pairs. Yeah. So I don't know. A lot of people. I know a lot of people. Red Planet and common, Mission to Mars. And Mission to Mars, right? Exactly. So there, there was a compa- there was that pair that that uh, pair movie thing was done with The Matrix. And I know it's weird. Like I think a lot of people haven't seen this movie, but there's a movie called The Thirteenth. I think it was called The Thirteenth Floor, something like that. And basically, well, the first time I read a preview, a, a review of it, they're talking about for those of you who thought the co- the plot of the Matrix was, was wasn't complicated enough, and um, and one of the things they find out at the at the at the, towards the end of the movie is that they are they find their way out of the program, and and then they find out they're in another program that like the programs are nested. So mm-hmm. finding your way out doesn't mean you're out. Um, and so it's not clear at the end of the movie if they ever got out or if they just found another layer of programming. Um, and that's the same kind of ambiguity where you had with um, um, Inception, where you get to the ending and you're like, well, is it resolved or not? But both Matrix and, and the, the 13th um, Thirteenth Floor. Um, those those are secret movies where um, the secret is kept from from a large group of people. Um, this is again that it's sort of like an institutional secret that is necessary to be kept. Um, or, but even at the end of the third movie in the Matrix, you don't well, know for certain uh, they're not still in a program. That's true. That's true. Now, the thing about with the reality is, that skewed, there's no way to ever know if they were ever actually outside the matrix, right? Or if Although that felt, scenario was their way of dealing with. See, I felt like with the thirteenth floor, it was never clear if they got out of the, got out of the computer, out of the program. With the matrix, I felt like the thing that wasn't clear even by the end was. Were they really had they really busted out of the cycle they were repeating? Because um, you don't know. They said this this time is different. You're the one, and they had that whole you know sort of messiah thing happening. Um, but everything they everything that had happened in the movie that you thought were unique things had turned out to all be things that had happened before. So that and the machines have been using this scenario over and over again to control to reset the matrix. Right. So and you never know for certain that even their underground society could be part of the matrix. And right. that even seems likely when the when the sentinels go down there. Right. Or and when they and when they ha- talk about what the real date is. Is that really the real date? Is it really, you know, several thousand years off of when they thought it was? Or is it more like 20,000 years off of where they, I mean, that's one of the problems. Problems. It's both a, it's both a, it's an interest, it's both an interesting element and a problem with that is 
is you never know. The ambiguity is just sort of like, whoa, dude, I did it is is him is Neo sacrificing himself? Um was that part of the repeat, or did he really do something different? And you don't know. There's no there's no clarity around that at the end of the movie. Then it becomes an issue, if they're still in the Matrix, was Neo ever actually a person to begin with? Or was he always a program? Is Trinity a program? Is Morpheus a program? Are they programs designed to help reset the Matrix? This is actually really interesting because there are certain characters in the movie that have names and those that don't. They only have codes. Trinity, Morpheus, Neo had a name, Mr. Anderson, but then he's Neo, and then he's never Mr. Anderson again, and he's only Mr. Anderson to the um, agents. He's only Mr. Anderson until he um, takes the pill. Really, I mean, he's Mr. Anderson. Several people once he takes the pill, right? And then he takes on his code name. Um, Yeah, and And then they exist as code names. So, and that's one of the things about um, that's that's a case of where, in a way, in all of these examples, secrets are being kept from the audience, right? Because there's no way to definitively with the world they had set up, there's no way to definitively answer the question. Because they set these these nested um, problems, and you don't know that you... There's no way to definitively say that they ever solved it. But it's inherent in the secret that they create that that true knowledge is impossible. Finally enough, Blade Runner is sitting on my desk. Oh, we're going to rewatch that because we're going to go see the the sequel. Yeah, that's why it's on my desk because <laughs> my husband wants to see the sequel. Um, cause I've never actually watched the um, the um, Blade, Blade Runner. Uh, I know, I know. Um, and pop culture uh, fail. <laughs> really, I know, right? And there's this whole argument about the Blade Runner is it, whether or not Decker is a um, replicant. Is, is is that right? Replicant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the right term. Um, I think so. And, I haven't seen um, in 20 years. Yeah, roughly. Apparently, that question is going to be answered in the new movie. Because some say yes and some say no. Harrison Ford said no, that, he, that his character was not a replicant. But the director of the movie said yes, his character was <laughs> a replicant. <laughs> so we might find out in the sequel if Decker is a replicant. But when it comes to secrets and um, how they shape reality, um, reality is 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 a summation of your experiences and your knowledge. And so your reality can be altered and shifted around you against your will. And a big secret will do that. It will alter everything you think you know about you about your world about the the universe at large at times so things like um the reveal of 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 an entire magical society being hidden from humanity would be perception altering mhm 
especially when you find out that they use magic to hide from you, they've used magic to manipulate you, and not just memory charms. We're talking about muggle, muggle repelling charms. They use their they use magic to hide their 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 buildings. Um, they use magic to hide dangerous animals um, that you never knew existed. Um, or you believe to be myths like werewolves and vampires and dragons and and um, it's just it's the kind of perception alteration that when you uh, tackle it you need to tackle it um, you can either take it seriously or not <laughs> just put it that yeah. way and if you there take you it go. seriously it's a big it's a big task if you take it not so seriously. Um, you have to layer it uh, with with humor and a little bit of author hand wave of destiny, um, and just you know kind of own your lack of interest <laughs> in yeah fleshing in that out. out. Like yeah, dude, I know, I don't care. <laughs> I look magic. Well, right, and you can't, because you can mitigate some of your own problems, right? It's sort of like, you know, if you have, if you're going to do a reveal, if you're going to do a reveal of the magical world and you want it to be a smooth reveal of the magical world, do you want to have amped up beyond what we see in canon abuses towards muggles? You know, like, so if you've written in a bunch of, you know, magicals being abusive to muggles, and you know you've you've had hundreds of of obliviations on a daily basis, and, da, 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 and then do a reveal and it goes smoothly. You kind of set yourself up for your you know the the for the suspension of disbelief issue that's coming. Um, whereas if you know you're going to do a big reveal of the magical society, you might try, you know, easing away a little bit, like muggle government and like, magical government what, like work together. Like putting the and, on. News racks and grocery stores. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> oh, look, I need the Wizarding Times. What the fuck is the Wizarding Times? I'm picking that up. <laughs> it sounds interesting. Out. What is this? this? Is Which gag magazine ever. Hmm. I do think the best way to to open up the magical world to the muggle world in the, in the, in the scope, scope of Harry Potter is to come out with a gift. Oh, look, here's a cure for cancer. Right. <laughs> We're magical. Exactly. Here's cancer cure. Oh, look, here's a cure for Ebola. <laughs> you want to live longer? We got you covered. <laughs> but we're down to a minute and a half. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, handle your secrets in your fic um, carefully and I think that when you have a secret, you need to decide at the beginning. Even if you're a pantser, you need to decide how you're going to um, approach the, the mechanics of your secret. And all secrets have mechanics. Mm-hmm. We could actually do a whole Who knows? different show on mechanics. We, we probably could. Who knows? Who'll find out what will happen when they do? Write that down. Tonight is the clean-off date for um, RT, so I hope you read it. <laughs> We're down to 35 <laughs> seconds. Say goodnight. Good night, everyone.